You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we're walking through the book of John. If you have a Bible, open up to, to John chapter 5. We're going to do all of John chapter 5 today as I was working uh, with this, I have a group of guys I work my sermons with, and uh, one of them said, you can only find, one, there's 47 verses in John chapter 5, by the way. He said, you can only find one sermon in John chapter 5. And I said, no, 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 I can find many sermons in John chapter 5. I'm only going to preach one sermon from John chapter 5, okay? So uh, the way Bible preaching works, uh, from my perspective, I'm an expository preacher, which means my job is to tell you what God's Word says so that one day you can go home and you can open your own Bible and you can look at it and you can be like, there it is, it says it right there, right? To make, make God's Word plain and applicable to you so that when you're at home and you're studying God's Word on your own, uh, you can see what's there, right? I'm just supposed to draw it out for you. My job isn't to create novel, new ways to see the Bible. It's to give you what God is truly saying in His Word, so that one day you just look and say, Matt, you have the easiest job in the world. You literally just tell us what the Bible says. And I say, yes, that's what I do. I tell you what the Bible says and then what you should do with that. And when you preach in that manner, um, there's a lot of ways you can handle any passage. I can preach the entirety of the Bible, Genesis to Revelations, in about 35 minutes. I'm not going to do that today, um, but I can give you that. And it's kind of like a satellite view of Scripture, right? You take, it, you're, you take your, your view and you go all the way up in outer space. You can see the whole world. I can give you the whole of Scripture in about 35 minutes, right? It's a story of redemption, uh, of how God loves man, how, how, how man fell away, how God worked to bring man back to him through Christ, and how God is going to come again. Uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, to make all things new and right again. That's the story. I just told you the whole Bible in 30 seconds, guys. You're welcome, by the way. Y'all can go home pretty happy with that. Um, or I could tell you the story of an entire book of the Bible. Any book of the Bible it generally has one story and contained inside of it, and it's part of that. And I could give you that, and that's kind of the airplane view of it. Or I could give you a paragraph or a chapter, or I could give you a verse um, but sometimes preachers get really, uh, really interested and they zoom too far in. Uh, and all you see is, you know, we're examining one specific tree in the entire forest. And so we're going to get the whole forest view today for John chapter 5. We're going to see it in its context. You would have heard this sermon probably two or three different ways. Um, but we're going to give you the whole thing today so you know it. It's a story that you're familiar with if you know um, the Gospel of John. It's a story of the healing of the lame man, the, 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 the paralyzed or somewhat uh, damaged in his legs man, by the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and I'm going to summarize some of this because it is 47 verses and I'm not going to read it all to you. Um, but, but the way the miracle works is Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, for a feast of some sort. This could have been Passover or it could have been um, tabernacles, it could have been Purim. We don't really know what feast it is, it doesn't really matter. But he's in Jerusalem again to go to a feast. And he gets there uh, for the feast, and he's wandering around in the outer areas, and he goes um, to the pool of Bethesda. And there was a belief uh, among the people during Jesus' day that when the waters in the pool started to move, right, when, when water came into it and it became disturbed, um, that, that, that an angel had come through and swept into the water. And if you were the first person into the water after the water began to move, you would be healed of whatever bothered you. Whether that was true or not, whether there was miraculous healings that took place at that pool or not, 
was not the issue. The issue was people believed that there was something that would happen if you're the first person into the water. And so many people who had various ailments would sit by the water when it was expected that the water would move and they would rush into it. There was a man who had been uh, lame for 38 years, had some problem with his legs for 38 years. I'm only 38 years old. My wife is 39. By the way, this is the happiest six weeks of my year, right? She turned 39 uh, the day of the ice storm. Thank you for that, sweetie, um, right? She turned 39, brought the ice in, um, and in April, I'll join her in what it seems like a cursed year. I'm not going to lie to you. This seems like a rough year, 39. Um, but I'm 38 years old. This guy had been lame for 38 years. We don't know how old he was. He could have been 50 and you know, had an issue whenever he was 12. Or he could have been 38 years born lame. But he had never been able in 38 years to get into the water to get healed. And Jesus sees the man. The Bible says he sees the man. And he says, do you want to be healed? Right? And this is Jesus' question to the man. Do you desire healing today? And the guy says, no one helps me get into the water. Right? So I can't ever. There's, there's someone, you know, may, maybe someone's got an arm issue. They got like a, a bad rotator cuff, right? And they can run right into the water because their legs are fine, but I got bad legs. I can't get into the water before the rotator cuff guy gets in there. And so I never get healed. And Jesus says, you know what? It's okay. Rise, take up your mat, and walk. He says, just take your mat, walk, and go. You are healed now. And so the man picks up his bed that he, he sits on as he begs all day long, and he's carrying it home. And it tells you right after that, it says, it happened on the Sabbath. That is the day that it happened on, on the Sabbath. And it was actually against the law to carry your bed on the Sabbath because that was work. And the Sabbath was the day of rest. And so um, this man goes and starts carrying his bed. And what we see in this first session, that's the first nine verses of, of, of the passage, is that Jesus sees people in their struggles. He sees their needs. This man wasn't calling out to Jesus. He wasn't asking Jesus for anything specific. Jesus just saw him and said, I know what you need. And then he asked the man, do you want to be healed? This is a good question, by the way. It's a question Jesus asks uh, oftentimes. What do you want? Is this what you're desiring? It's a question of intent to push it back on the person. Do you want that? Is that truly what you want? Or are you happy in your circumstances? Do you, do you, do you want to act like you want to be healed, but really you don't, you don't really want to be healed? The man wanted to be healed, so Jesus, seeing him in his needs, met him in his needs. Jesus still does that today. He sees your needs. Whatever your struggles is, whatever your worries are, whatever your concerns are, your physical ailments, the things that are plaguing you today, Jesus sees you in your needs. Sometimes that's just all we need to know. Sometimes that's all I need to know is that in the midst of my struggle, that I am not struggling alone, that I am seen in my struggle. Right? We struggle in silence a lot. Right? We struggle with, with different things by ourselves. And then we, 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 we just, it helps to know there's someone standing along beside me. I've been reading through the book of Job recently. Uh, and, and I love Job's three friends uh, at the beginning of the book at least. Right? Job's life goes to pot, loses all of his kids, has a major health crisis. All of his money is basically wiped away. He was a wealthy man, then he's basically a poor man. It's a tough, weak for Job, and Job is sitting on the ground 
in sackcloth and ashes, mourning what has happened to him. And his friends show up beside him, and they see that he is in great agony. And they don't fix his problem. They don't try to meet his needs. They just see him and sit with him. And for seven days, the Bible says they didn't say a word. Then they start talking, things go downhill from there, right? But for seven days, they see him in his needs. Sometimes that's all we need. Jesus sees you in your needs today. If you're needy today, if you, have a, if you have a hurt, if you have a pain, if you have a grief, if you have a loss, if today is a tough day for you and you think nobody knows what's going on in your world, I want you to know Jesus sees you. Ideally, we as a church see you. Ideally, we see you in your struggle and your pain. We try to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But if the church is failing at doing our God-ordained task of seeing and ministering to you, I want you to know you are not abandoned. Christ sees you. Continuing on from there in verse 10, we'll read a little bit. It says, um, so the Jews, this is five, uh, John chapter 5, verse 10. It says, so the Jews, these are the Jewish leaders, said to the man who was carrying his bed, who had been healed, uh, they said, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he responded to them, the man who healed me, uh, that man said, take up your bed and walk. And so they're like, well, who is this guy and where is he at? And he's like, I don't know who the guy is. Right? He came up to me, he said, be healed, and I don't know where he is. And then later on, Jesus sees the man at the temple. They're celebrating the feast. So he sees this man at the temple who's now healed, and he says, hey, don't sin or something worse than what was happening before is going to happen to you, right? So, so live a life of uh, moral uprightness or something worse will happen to you, right? Live your life in a way that honors God going forward. And then the man takes that, leaves Jesus, goes find these people and says, oh, by the way, the guy who healed me was this guy. It's kind of a ratty thing to do, right? right? Jesus heals him, takes away 38 years of misery from him. Jesus sees him. is like, hey, let me give you a little warning. He's like, what's your name? He's like, Jesus. He's like, cool, awesome. And then he runs and he tells the authorities, right? That's not great. That's not a thankful heart necessarily. But he might have had to have done this because if he didn't do it, then he was breaking the Sabbath. And the punishments for breaking the Sabbath in Jesus' day was severe. It was severe punishments. And so this man who was just carrying his bed home could have been subject to severe discipline and punishment for following this. And so he, he pointed the finger at Jesus and so these people see that Jesus is the issue. In verse 16, or I, I guess uh, we'll start in verse 15, it says, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And then, so this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these sort of things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them when they approached him, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a big deal, right? Jesus heals this man. He sees this man. He heals this man. And then, because he did it on the Sabbath, he was breaking some sort of man-made law. I say man-made law because the Sabbath, which is a command, right? If you uh, go to your... Uh, Old Testament, Deuteronomy, or oh, you can find it in Deuteronomy, but in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the Ten Commandments are first given. The fourth commandment, third commandment, third commandment, I guess, uh, is honor the Sabbath, right? Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And the idea is, right, 
God um, gave us a picture of what life is supposed to be in creation. For six days, God created. On the seventh day, God rested. Did God need to rest? No. God doesn't get tired. You get tired. And God knows you get tired. And so he said, this is how your life needs to be structured. Six days work, one day rest. Six days work, one day rest. You need the rest. And so the Jewish people, as, as time went forward, added to that command a bunch of regulations about what work meant. Right? And so work doesn't mean going off and, and doing your job, tilling your field, whatever actual work is. Work means walking this many steps. Right? So if you were to walk, and I don't have the number in front of me, but we'll pretend the number is 150 steps. If you walk 151 steps, you have committed work and have violated the Sabbath. But if you only walk 149 steps, you're good. God's okay with it. They began to become very legalistic in how they defined work. And so they added, as we are wont to do, all these rules and regulations to God's good law for us. And Jesus did not make this man violate the Sabbath. He made this man violate these people's understanding of the Sabbath. Jesus is God. Jesus was there when the law was given. Jesus understands the meaning of the Sabbath. But the Jewish people, the, the people in Jesus' day and time, did not understand it. They had corrupted it, and had polluted it, and had made it mean what they want, and they took offense at Jesus. They took offense at Jesus because he was breaking the Sabbath, in their opinion. They took offense at Jesus because Jesus said, I work Saturdays because my father works Saturdays. That's, that's basically that's a paraphrase for what he said. Right? My father's working up until now, and so I work too. It's like, I, I have to work Saturdays. I'm sorry, guys. You guys don't work Saturdays. I do. I work on Saturday because God is still working on the Sabbath. And God is working every day of the, uh, of the week. We should be thankful for that because otherwise this universe would spin out of control every six days. God is holding everything together. Every piece uh, that we understand of this universe is held together by the hand of God. And if he was to release it, it would fall apart every six days. God works on the Sabbath. But since Jesus said that, the Jews took offense at him. Not just offense like, hey, we don't like your teaching, but to the point that they desired to kill Jesus. That's a serious offense, right? right? That, that's not someone, you know, you know, your waitress gets your order wrong. It waitresses, they're, they're like, they're really hardcore about this, right? They walk up to your table, and I have, uh, I have eight people in my family, six, seven order. The baby typically doesn't order. Sometimes we get him something, right? He's two. I should probably stop calling him the baby, right? The two-year-old doesn't order. Um, but the waitress can go up there and be like, oh, what do y'all want? And we order all the food, and they just kind of stand there and look at us and nod their head. And I'm like, you got a piece of paper and a pencil? You can write that stuff down? I get nervous watching them not write. And, then, and it's like it's a memory challenge for them to show off to me that they can get my order right. But if they get it wrong, right, I can take offense at them, be like, I'm sorry, I actually ordered charro beans instead of refried beans, which I do, um, right? And so, so uh, right, I can take offense that they brought me the wrong beans uh, with my meal. But you know what I don't do? I don't desire to kill them for bringing me the wrong beans, right? I can be offended, but not to the point of like, we should probably get the execution ready. I got the order wrong again. Right, the Jewish people, the leaders, because Jesus had made himself out to be the son of God. 
because he said that publicly. All of a sudden, he became not just another teacher whose teaching was a little bit wayward. He became a blasphemer. He became someone who was making himself equal with God, and that scared them. But guys, people still take offense at Jesus. There's a reason the church is reviled today, right? And some of it is because we're, we're not a good representation of Jesus, but some of it is because we are a good representation of Jesus. People don't love what Jesus makes and tells us to do. It's not the most, like, like there are wonderful parts about Christianity. There are parts about it that is loved by our culture. But the narrow path that Jesus lays out, that salvation is found nowhere else except through Christ alone, that good works won't get you there, right? That following this teaching won't get you there, that your self-help book won't actually help you, right? Those teachings that stand up, those are offensive to the world today. Now, people take grave offense to that. You tell them that, that their moral system that they're building their life upon ultimately leads to death, right? If, it, if there's a bankruptcy and if they take offense at it, people still take offense at Jesus. Jesus is the, the, the stumbling block, as he's called in Scripture. He is, he is the rock of offense. People find reasons to be offended by him. Uh, I was reading a book. Uh, it's like a little pamphlet. The book is a little aggressive there. But it said, you know, when you're at church, everything in the church should be non-offensive. We should do everything we can to not offend people. Because when the preacher stands up, if he tells the truth about Jesus, he's going to be plenty offensive. Like the message of the gospel is offensive. That there is one path to salvation, that there's salvation nowhere else, that you can't be good enough. In fact, that at your core you are wicked. That's offensive to hear. I understand that. It's true. Right, so, but everything else should be not offensive because there's going to be plenty of offense in the church. People still take offense at Jesus Christ. Jesus, is, Jesus was offending Jewish sensibilities of the day. So Jesus said in verse uh, 19, so Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, he's defending himself now, you, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't truly honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me uh, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Guys, Jesus is spelling out that he is a unique pathway to salvation. He's going to say it clearer in John chapter 14 that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what he's saying here is he's beginning to lay his authority out as the Son of God. He's telling the Jewish leaders and the people gathered, guys, I am here, and if you honor the Father, you're going to honor me. Because I have the authority that God has vested in me to do things that no man has authority to do. And in fact, God has given some of his specific, the Father has given some of his specific uh, uh, privileges or, or obligations onto me. Right? He says God, the Father, doesn't judge people. He's given all judgment to 
the Son. I will sit in judgment. He's also given the Son as the one to give life. So if you would, if you would accept me, if you would believe me, then you would enter into life. But for those who reject, their, their death is secure. Continuing on, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. This is verse 25. Uh, it is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live, for the Father has life in himself, and he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given authority to him to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is laying out his authority, and it's not just a temporary authority. It is eternal life authority. And he says the Father has given this, and that hour is coming when some the dead will hear, and life will come to them. And we can think about this at the, at the resurrection of Christ, right? And the tombs pop open, or I guess that's at the crucifixion of Christ, and the tombs pop open, and, and the dead are all of a sudden walking around. But truly, it happens every single day. People dead in their sin, lost in their sin, hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ. And if they believe in him, life enters into a dead place. Christ is in the business of bringing life because Jesus has the unique authority to bring life. Right? You may have pieces of authority, right? Like I have a small bit of vested authority as the pastor at First Baptist Church Rockdale. But Jesus has a unique authority, a special authority from God. And that authority is an authority to bring life to those who would believe, but judgment to those who would not. His authority is unique. Now you have to imagine yourself in the first century, listen to Jesus say this, right? you already want to kill him, and he continues to talk. He continues to point himself out and to elevate himself up and say, this is who I am. I was listening to a guy, um, it was like two weeks ago now, some random YouTube guy. I'm not a big YouTube person. Some people are huge on the YouTube. Uh, my kids spend a lot of time watching YouTube. Uh, not, not, not general people talking about Bible typically. Y'all could pick up on the Bible watching YouTube children. Um, but, but like some guy out there is, you know, reading his, his little verse, uh, and he's like, he's like, I just believe the Bible. I just believe the Bible. I don't, I don't listen to anything else. I just believe the Bible. And nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that he's God. And I'm like, well, you obviously didn't read John chapter 5. Because Jesus couldn't be clear about what he's trying to say right now. He could not be clear about what he's trying to say is that he is God. He has the authority from the Father. And the Jewish people in the first century, they're like, I don't like the fact that he's made himself equal with God. Right, like Jesus is very clear about who he is. He has unique authority. Verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony isn't true. There is another one who bears witness about me, and I know that his testimony is true because he bears witness about me. I want to stop there. Jesus is about to lay out his supporting evidence, right? If you've ever written a paper before, right, and you're like, here's my opinion, and you turn it into your professor, like, here's my opinion, your professor's like, I don't value your opinion very much, right? Your opinion does not carry the day. It does not really move the needle that you think this. And so Jesus is just given his personal testimony of the authority that he has, and he has works 
that prove it, right? He's done the water into wine, right? He's healed the person's son from a distance. He just healed that man uh, who, was, who was lame and couldn't walk. Jesus has these miracles that kind of confirm who he is, but, but he needs outside sources to prove who he is, right? To, to, to add to that research paper of are you truly the Son of God? And so he begins to lay out some of those outside resources. The first one is John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist came testifying to Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus would uh, be greater than him, right? Would be the, the Son of God to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist came testifying about Jesus, right? And so some of the Jewish people are like, oh, that's a pretty good testimony. John was a, a respected, loved, popular teacher of their era. And they're like, well, that's a good teaching. But some of the people are like, well, John's not that compelling either. Right? And we do this when we're making arguments, wherever you're making an argument. Kind of start with maybe a popular figure from the day. And you're like, okay, well, that, that helps to give some background. And then he pushes further. And then he pushes back to Moses. And he says, if you go back to the Old Testament and you read what Moses says, he's talking about me. And he is. Jesus is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. If you spend some time in the first five books of the Bible, you'll see references uh, to, to this future one who's going to come, this righteous judge that's going to come, this eternal king that's going to come. There's references there all the way back to Moses, and Moses is the authority in the Jewish church. Right? He is the lawgiver. He went up the mountain. God gave him the law. He came down with the law. He gave it to the nations. Right? He is the law giver. And so when Jesus points back to Moses, he's giving a secondary testimony uh, to himself. But he also points to God himself, that God is his witness. And I want to pick up there uh, in verse 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. For I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If I was to come in, if anyone comes, if another comes in his own name, instead, you will receive them. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Right? And now what, what Jesus is saying is, look, you guys search the scriptures, you look through the scriptures, and if you understood them, you would see it points to me. You guys don't. But if, so, if someone else was to come in another name one day and proclaim himself to be the Messiah, you will listen to him. Jesus is pointing forward to the Antichrist one day. One day there's going to be one who's going to come, and he's going to point himself out, and he's going to lift himself up, and you are going to believe him. But you don't believe me because, right, the reason... You don't believe me. It's because the Father's love does not abide in you. Jesus, right, he came, and he came with witnesses and testimony about who he is. It was compelling enough that there were people there that on that day that walked away like, oh, this is a unique person. They kept their eyes on Jesus the rest of his ministry, another two to three years, kept their eyes on Jesus to see whether or not he was who he said he is. Guys, the, the witnesses that Jesus brought in his defense are still being brought today. Your life should be a witness to Jesus. Your life today should stand out as a witness for Jesus Christ. So that when people question whether or not Jesus is who he says he is, you can say Jesus is who he says he is because he's done this to me. He's taken me from death 
to life. He's moved me uh, from a person who lived like this, and now I live in this manner that honors God with my body and my actions. He's moved me. And our witness today matters. You have a story to tell. I told you this a few weeks ago. You have a message to share. No one else has your testimony. Share your story. There are people who doubt who Jesus is. They truly doubt who Jesus is. And if you've experienced Jesus personally, experienced Jesus Christ, the change that he brings in your life, you have a message to share. You can stand as a witness to who Jesus is. You can add your witness to Moses and God the Father uh, and John the Baptist. Your testimony stands alongside of their testimony, furthering the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. Join in the many witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what do we do? What do we do with this passage? This passage starts with the healing on a Sabbath and ends with Jesus telling them, I am the Son of God and there is life found and nowhere else. This is what we do, guys. We, we witness about Jesus Christ and we follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes because he has the authority to lead. Sometimes we get sidetracked. I was, someone came to me during Sunday school today and said, hey, here's this person, this teacher, uh, I feel sketchy about. You were right. They're sketchy, by the way. Right? I feel sketchy about. Don't follow a teacher. Don't follow Matt Higginbotham. Matt Higginbotham, I try to tell you, like I said at the beginning of my sermon, I try to tell you what God's word says. Nothing more. But don't follow me. Follow Jesus and witness about him wherever you go. Now, whenever my life imitates Jesus, follow me. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? But only as far as I imitate Christ should you ever imitate me. But we witness for Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, in a world that is longing to know about Jesus Christ. Many people have offense at the name of Jesus Christ, and we can break that down, conversation by conversation, right, right, every day, as we tell them the truth of what Jesus has done for us. You have a story to tell, you need to share that message today, and as you share that message, make it a story that has validity, because your life follows Jesus Christ. Some people have a story to share. Pastors are so good at this, right? We stand up, we look like saints. I try not to. I really do try not to just put myself up on the pedestal here. I do stand on a stage that's elevated, so that's hard to do, right? But I am like you. On your worst day, I'm like you, guys. I don't have this all figured out. I'm not perfect. I'm not some sort of super saint uh, that never struggles. Pastors can do that. We elevate ourselves and we tell people how things should be. We speak from this ivory tower, and we have all of the right teaching, but if you went, eventually, like, the works of their life get exposed, and we find out there's rot underneath it. Rabbi uh, Zacharias, right, this, this guy, uh, famous apologetics guy, some of you know uh, Rabbi, but, but uh, man, his, his ministry looked great, right, right, leading people to, to being able to defend their faith having a, an ability to, to, to give good answers to questions people have, skeptics have. And man, his ministry was very fruitful. He passed away uh, a year ago or so. I don't want to speak too ill of the dead, but he was living a life of a pagan sinner. He, he, he owned a massage house. That's dangerous. Um, not, that, not that masseuses are, are, are bad. That's, that's a bad term. A massage therapist. If you're a masseuse, maybe you are a, a bad person. But he owned ma these massage parlors. 
and use them for all the purposes that you would think someone might use a massage parlor for that is not legitimate. And you have this whole litany of women who have been abused and hurt and exploited by him. And he stood up and he made his life. He shared his witness about what God did and how he lived. And his witness looked like this. But his following of Jesus Christ, his ability to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he surrendered that decades ago to follow after himself. And because of that, he shipwrecked his ministry. The entirety of his ministry becomes suspect. It becomes a place of mocking and scorn for the church. Another black eye for Christ's bride. So don't just witness for Jesus Christ and hold yourself up as the exemplar of righteousness. Witness for Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ. Follow faithfully where Jesus leads. We have a story to tell. Let's share that story as we follow Jesus day by day. Let me pray.